Well, guys, why don't you grab a Bible and turn with us to the book of Proverbs. Now, I say that, but I also want to continue to hold out to you. You can grab a Bible, one of our Bibles, or you can grab the Bible that's printed for you uh, in our booklets that we've provided for you. For the book of Proverbs, we have printed out uh, the chapters of the book of Proverbs in this booklet to give you that opportunity uh, to maybe mark it up a little bit more than you would in your Bible. So these were available at the door. If you need one, you can grab one. Uh, just longing that if that's where you are, that's great. If you want to use your own Bible, don't want to track with that, that works as well. Now, we just want to say, if you're joining us online, we really want to make sure that you know you're included as well. So on our website, we have made possible for you to download a PDF of the booklet that we made. So you can go to our website at calvaryroswell.com, go to today's message, and then you'll see a little download link. Click that. It should probably say something like notes. Download that. It'll be a PDF you can either print out or you could just use on an electronic device and and kind of circle it on that or however that works. But again, just wanting to make sure if you're wanting to track with that, you can do so as well. Because again, the aim will be that you could look at this and be able to follow along with us in Proverbs because every proverb is unique. Every, you know, almost every verse stands alone. So we're going to encourage as we work through it this evening that you would mark it up. And I just want to remind you of the pattern that I'm using. Uh, you can use whatever pattern you want. I'm going to use colors because that works good on the screen. We use green as a circle on a lot that, uh, of the focus of, the, of each proverb and the line is the result. We use red kind of as a kind of a square that will highlight the focus of a bad thing and a line is the result that would flow from that. I'll use a little blue line for the conjunctions or the connections between the two so that we can follow that. And then if it's just about God's character, we'll use purple. And again, however that works in your life, but just longing that you would be able to kind of see the comparison a little bit better and and watch that take place in a way that God would meet you in his word this evening. So with that invitation, let's take a moment and ask him for it. I'm going to lead you in prayer. Hope you'd pray as well. Let's just ask that God would make his word known to us tonight. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that we get to come and study your word. Thank you for the power that's found in your word. Thank you for the reality that is there. And I ask that you would connect us to it this evening in a way that both our understanding is made clear, uh, that we're able to understand what the Proverbs are saying to us. But Father, I ask for more. Jesus, I ask for what you promised. You said that the Holy Spirit would be our helper, would be a tutor to us, so that kind of putting your arm around us would point out to us the proverb we needed to hear tonight, and then invest it into our lives. Just draw us to be the people you want us to be. Do a transforming work through the power of your word and believing that that's exactly what you're longing to do this evening. I ask for help. I ask for favor. And I ask you to help us to hear what you are speaking to us this evening. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. It's an amazing work to consider the work that Christ has and is doing in our lives. I like the way it's given to us in Hebrews, where it tells us in chapter 10, verse 14, for by one offering, he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. I mean, in a nugget, he just gives it to us so amazing. So if you're here tonight and you've believed on Jesus and you're saved, he says, by one offering, that is the sacrifice of the cross, Jesus dying on the cross for us, he has made us 
perfected forever. No more sacrifices need made right with God, which is such an incredible reality. Such an incredible reality to see that. Now, that's an important understanding as you come into the book of Proverbs because it really is a comparison between the righteous and the wicked, between the wise and the foolish. And we say it each week, but in one sense, we need to make sure we have a biblical view of that. Righteous. The only one's righteous are those in Christ. There's no one righteous, no, not one, the Bible tells us. And so outside of Jesus, nobody is. And so again, if you're here this evening or joining us online and you're outside of this, please understand, this is not enough just to go in some aspect of knowledge. You need Jesus. He's the one who would, by his sacrifice, make you perfect forever. What an incredible joy that is. And just to believe that, that we are that, having said that, it doesn't mean he's not continuing working on us. Because I love the way it just says it. He is perfecting, he's perfected forever those who are being present tense, sacri- sanctified. So it's in the midst of both of it. I mean, we are perfect in Jesus, and that's forever. We, we have a standing with him that's forever. And yet at the same moment today, he is still working that transformation inside of us. He is sanctifying us. He is changing us and transforming us. And he does that continuing work on our lives. It's such a beautiful thing to, to recognize. He's the one that's faithful to do it. That tells us in Philippians, he who started that good work in you, he will be faithful to complete it until the day of Christ. And so amazingly enough, he is looking at you and seeking to continue that work of sanctification working in you this evening. So as we're approaching the book of Proverbs, we long for that. We long that he would just do that work that in one sense we recognize is not fixing our soul. Our soul is already fixed. We are made perfect in Christ, but we are growing, growing in sanctification and his transformation in our lives. And so longing that that would take place both for the sake of what he's wanting to do, but even for the impact that would flow in and around that. That's kind of where we get to join. We're in the middle of chapter 15. We made it up to verse 19 last week. So we're going to join in there in verse 20. And it simply gives it to us this way. A wise son makes a glad father, but a foolish man despises his mother. Well, you walk this through, it's not a complicated one. You'd look and it begins obviously with a positive statement, a wise son, one who's walking in biblical wisdom, walking in the ways uh, of God. It's just, he would make his father glad. And he makes, he just speaks honor into that and brings honor and power into that. But uh, in just the, the opposite of that, a foolish man, a fool who's rejecting God's ways and walking in, in his own folly He despises his mother. So one of the fun things to understand in the book of Proverbs is to kind of catch the comparison because it's not always a direct comparison. Sometimes it covers a bigger gamut than that, and I hope you can feel that even in this because in one sense, we're thinking of a wise son and a foolish son, and in one sense, it says if you, you know, do this, then your your dad's going to be glad. Like, that's going to bring honor to him. But if you don't do this, you really despise your mom. It's not saying that your mom's going to be sad, though that's true. It now kind of flips to the other side of it, not just speaking of the reality, but it's saying that what you're doing in that is speaking dishonor. What you're doing as you walk in folly is a way that that is actually disrespect, dishonor, and working in that. 
Now, again, it gives us this contrast between father and mother, and it's not a sense that, you know, that moms aren't glad for wise sons or dads aren't grieved for uh, foolish sons, but it has this idea of even the way that it kind of moves in that. Men driven by honor. It really does move this way. Women just driven by care. It really moves in the other. And so in many ways, it's just this beautiful picture of a reality. In fact, I just draw your, your attention to how real this is. I think about it this way in 3 John. It says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in the truth. And I love this statement. In one sense, it's a statement that's true for families. There's definitely a biblical statement of it for a pastor at a church or people in the midst of it. But I just want to speak it right now because here's what I know. Some of you tonight, you feel this. I mean, you feel this in ways that it's hard to communicate. For you parents who have children, there's incredible joy when your children are wise, when they're walking in the truth and they're doing the things that are godly, it's, it, there's, you could look at it and think, that is not a better gift that you could ever give me. There's not something I want more than that. And though John doesn't say it, I really think it's honestly true. I think the converse of that is true. There's really not a bigger grief than when your children are doing poorly. I mean, there is one of those things, it's like, you know, chop off my toe, you know, punch me in the face, do something in my life. I would want my kids to walk in the truth. I mean, the other things are, are minimal comparatively to the grief I have for my children doing poorly. And, and, and so again, he just looks at this here in this proverb and says, hey, if you're doing well, it brings honor. If you're doing poorly, it brings grief. And, and, and just in that sense, even to rescue from this, not just for your sake, but for the sake of those that your life is impacting and your life is a part of and certainly calling us to have that. And without, again, just spending more time on it, I just say it again, it is so true. It is so true. There's a gladness when your children are doing well. There's a grief uh, when, when they're not and, and just feeling that pain. All right. Well, you can flip the page, uh, verse 21. Folly is a joy to him who is destitute of discernment. But a man of understanding walks uprightly. So folly is a joy is in many ways the outcome of the reality that's given to this. It says folly is a joy to him who is destitute of discernment. I mean, the person who doesn't walk in wisdom, who seems to have none of it, you know, just kind of living foolishly, says that here's this person who's doing that and is almost just taking joy and doing the wrong things and, and the horrendous things are part of that. In contrast... A man of understanding who recognizes truth and walks in that, he walks uprightly. So again, the comparison is really kind of interesting, and I'll just give it to you quickly, because I think in one sense it's set to bookends that kind of cover all of it. So folly is a joy to him who is destitute of understanding, and I would say to the man of understanding, it's a joy. It's a joy to, to, to walk in those things, and so that's definitely included in this. But Folly is one that keeps that person from walking uprightly, where for a man of understanding, when you do that, it's, it's not just in what we say, it's, it's how we live. It's, it's walking that out, that, that walks in those things and causes us to, and calls us to be that, that in one sense to, to, to look on this and think there's, there's a, a, a way to live here and a place that is 
being wise and understanding, not being the foolish one who is not even thinking about it. And some of you understand that. Think about it for just a moment ago. We talk about children and others, and some of you is like, man, I'd like to, you know, squeeze that into somebody's head right now. It's like, why you seem to take such, you know, you're just acting foolishly, like you're not even thinking about your life. You're not thinking about destiny. You're not thinking about impact. You're not, you just, I just do whatever I feel like. It's like, oh, really? That's so bad. And you long for someone to come to this understanding. And so just, again, recognizing it is true. And yet, honestly, calling us to be the ones who walk in the ways of understanding. Next verse, verse 22. Without counsel, plans go awry. But in the multitude of counselors, they are established. This is one of those proverbs that have been repeated a couple times already and yet so needed for us to hear. It says, here's the thing. If you live life without listening to counsel, without letting other people give you advice or receiving advice, you're going to make mistakes. You're going to go awry. Your, your course is going to go wrong because we're not meant to live that way. Instead, he says, but in the multitude of counselors, in letting a lot kind of speak into our lives, he says, then your plans will be established. So we think about this reality, and again, it's worth just taking a moment and kind of self-evaluating. I don't know where you are on it. I know this, your sinful tendency will be to be independent, to say, I don't need anybody. I don't need anybody. I don't need anything. I can make my own decisions. I'm smart enough. I'm wise enough. That's a folly that is a sinful folly, that sinful folly that wants to go our own way. All we like sheep have gone our own way. God is calling us into a place where we recognize our need for Him and we recognize our need for one another, that there is a sense that we are made for community. We're made for connection. We are not made to do life on our own. To try to do it on your own as a sinful independence is only going to mess up your life. And so again, I'm hoping that that's kind of understood in your life and you can almost recognize when that's there and thinking, okay, that's me, you know, taking the world on my own shoulders. That's me being independent and that's a bad thing because I'm made for connection. We're a body of Christ. We're made for that kind of space. And so there is a place where he says, if you refuse that, it's going to go badly for you. But if you would welcome it, it would go well. I do like to point out that it's in the multitude of counselors. Um, it could actually be dangerous if you only have one counselor. If you only listen to one person, that can go badly. So often what we need is a multitude of counselors. And if you understand this, if this is even a part of your life, then you've already begun to figure out that that's an interesting dynamic, but a good one to process through. The kind of process where you can listen to a bunch of people and then make the best decision that you possibly can. Listen to a bunch of people who sometimes vary in their opinions, sometimes vary in the way that they see it, to be able to listen and say, hmm, that's interesting. Okay, glad to hear what you think. Let me process that through. And then ask somebody else, so what do you think about this? And they give you a different opinion. And so one of the the places of wisdom is to be that kind of person who can welcome that. Like, I I seek counsel. If I'm going to make a decision, it's a big decision for certain I'm going to ask for counsel from a number of people knowing that they're going to disagree. But that's okay, because I need them to speak into my life. And then from all of that, it's not like I'm going to take necessarily, you know, the the most votes win kind of thing. But it's like I'm going to look for God's wisdom and and allow that to guide my life. And I don't know, again, where that lands in you. I I just know it's a big deal. I know for me, um, there was a lot of places that it kind of grew. But I can really remember that the place that it was one of those huge lessons for me, and it really was in parenting. 
Like, you know, when we became parents and, uh, you know, had children, it was amazing how much advice we got. You know, it was amazing, like every, like in the store, like, oh, you know, are you using this, you know? And you're like, well, I don't even know you. You're like, what are you doing? And, you know, there was a place that I could recognize, hey, this propensity to be like, um, we're doing this ourselves. We're the parents, you're not, and I don't need your advice. And I kind of saw that. I recognized very quickly that was a bad thing, but I tried to learn into the place where I could listen, where I'd say, well, no, no tell me what you're thinking. I, I would like to understand how you see life and how you're doing it. Well, thank you, and I will pray about that. And, and, I, and I learned to kind of say I wanted to hear wisdom from different people, recognizing, you know, people have their very strong opinions in some places, but I learned much. And, and I still want to walk in that, don't, I still one of those places I need to grow in, but I'm just saying in your life it needs to be there. And so if this isn't something you're already doing, I'm just telling you very naturally in your sinful you know, propensity, you will be someone that says, I don't need anybody. You know, I, I can handle life myself, and you can't. One of the spaces you need to do is let other people speak into your life where you can say, hey, you know, I'm, I'm struggling with something. I have a question about how I'm doing something, or I have a question about what's happening in my life, and I would like your advice. And, and seek it from not just one source, not just going to that one person that you feel like you can trust, uh, but you go to a multitude of counselors. Because if you'll do that, if you'll glean that place of wisdom, he says, then you're going to find your place established, because you'll recognize you are made for that kind of community and that kind of help in life. And so longing that in the book of Proverbs, that he would just speak to you as, again, he's just said this. I think this is probably the third or fourth time he's already highlighted this reality for us. And, and yet again, obviously it's repetition is, is a part of the point. Well, continuing, verse 23. A man has joy by the answer of his mouth and a word spoken in due season. How good it is. Hey, this is one of those Proverbs that everything in this proverb is good. And so he says, here's this place where there's joy found. There's joy found when you are able to say the right thing, when you're able to, to give the right answer is what he's giving in the midst of it. And on top of that, a word spoken in due season, how good it is. So it's a pretty simple statement, but again, I just want you to think it through. To say the right thing at the right time. Oh, it's beautiful. It's a beautiful thing. I, I, I hope you understand a little bit what this is like. I, I know for me, Sometimes I'm more aware of what it's not like. It's like, sometimes it's like, oh, I said that wrong. You know, that was the wrong answer. And sometimes I said it at the wrong time. It's like, I should have waited. Like, that was the wrong time to talk about that. You know, should, that was the wrong, I mean, and, and so I feel like my life so often is found in the, you know, like, uh, you know, either I didn't say the right thing or I said it at the wrong time. But there is this beautiful place when you can begin to glean what wisdom is, which wisdom is being able to be that person that would speak into somebody else's life. And when you can do it, when you can say the right thing at the right time, he just wants to tell you, that is joy. That is good. That is worth pursuing. That's the kind of thing you want, to kind of be that person who could speak into, into people's lives and say the right thing at the right time and hoping even in our journey through Proverbs that God is growing us in what that is and hopefully again when to say it. Oh, God, teach us to be wise. All right, well, turn the page. Verse 24, the way of life winds upward for the wise uh, that he may turn away from how below. 
So the way of life or the course of life or the path that we're on, it is moving upward. Uh, it is moving upward for the wise. And that, he says, you know, that because of that, out of that, he may turn from hell below. It's a pretty powerful proverb. I think you probably understand it, but just think it through. I mean, heaven above, hell below. Yeah, that, there's eternity. There's a, a place of that growth. And in one sense, it's that picture of sanctification, that the wise one is on a journey. It's on a journey that's moving upward. And we just want to say it again. Sanctification is a process. There is no instant sanctification. I think all of us would take it. It was like, so what do I have to do to come up and just get, you know, pray over me, you know, and, and boom, I'm just, you know, doing well. It's like, no. I mean, there is this course. There's this path of life. And the path that I want to be on is moving towards heaven, moving not towards just getting there, but what Jesus talked about, that we're praying, hey, Lord, I want your will to be done in my life, even as it's going to be done in heaven. Uh, that, that course of what heaven looks like, it's like, I want to be more like that. And so he's simply calling us to that, saying, hey, if you are that one who is wise, then you're on a journey, that it is moving upwards, that your course is in this place where, again, hopefully we're finding ourselves thinking, I just want to be better than I was. We've talked about it in recent Sundays, so I'll just quickly say one of the great dangers of the Christian life is petering out. Uh, of just being the place where you kind of settle uh, for where you are and no longer are saying with the Apostle Paul, you know, I haven't arrived. I'm not there yet. One thing I do, I'm forgetting those things which are behind and I am pressing up after the, the things that are above. I'm not content where I am. I haven't arrived at the person that God wants me to be at and I'm pursuing that. That's the course of the wise. And again, hopefully that's the course that you're on. Hopefully that's a part of what's happening even tonight, again, as he works into our lives. All right. Verse 25. The Lord will destroy the house of the proud, but he will establish the boundary of the widow. So you watch this thing. He says this here, and now we're talking about God, and we're talking about what he's going to do. So I'll use kind of a purple as a line that flows from this. And he says, God is going to destroy and then he gives us the cause of that or the thing that's being focused on, and that's the house of the proud, this arrogant doing life without God, trying to do your own thing. He says, you are going to face God's hand of destruction. But in contrast to that, he'll establish. He will make firm. He will make strong the boundary of the widow. Pretty fascinating. Again, we had a lot of time. I mean, just the comparisons, they're not necessarily what you would think. They're not like, well, yeah, that's, that was the exact opposite of where we were going a moment ago. But in some ways, it just carries this whole gamut that we're looking at this one who, from a worldly standpoint, maybe has a house, maybe is you know, prosperous in, in this world, and, and just is this proud, arrogant uh, person. I think about how it tells us in the book of Habakkuk when it divides it. You know, it says, you know, that the just will live by faith, but the proud, his soul is not upright in him. I mean, that proud aspect is this place of rebellion. And it's as if you could look at it and says, you're going to face God's destruction. God has set himself against you, and all that you are will go away. And yet he contrasts that not just in one sense to the, the house of the, of the righteous. I mean, again, if this was like an opposite mirror, that's what you would say. Okay, well, here's the house of the proud and here's the house of the righteous. But now he takes us to the boundary. And the idea of a boundary is an appointed blessing or appointed promises that God lays out for somebody. And he takes us to the widow. 
that is so often one of the most marginalized or overlooked within societies. And, and God says, I see that. And, and, and that's something that I'm going to establish. And he's telling you he is. That's, that's eternal, that the meek will inherit the earth. And, and that covers so much more than the widow, but it invites us into that place of thinking, hey, you know, to be in that humble place or be in that ten- dependent place and to recognize God's establishment, God's firmness of it, that he's going to do this. And so again, it's made as a statement that isn't just um, God's recognition, but he's going to do that. He will establish, and that's a joy that we recognize, again, it is coming, uh, where God is going to do all of that and bring into the lives of those who have been neglected and marginalized by society that God's blessings are great, and they are worth knowing and seeking. All right, verse 26, the thoughts of the wicked are an abomination to the Lord, but the words of the pure are pleasant. So the thoughts of the wicked, we're talking about this person who's rebellious and rebelling against God, and even just the way they think, not their actions, even though it would flow from this, but just even the thoughts that are in there, God says he's, he looks on it, and it's an abomination to him. And I just highlight for you very quickly again, it's a very strong word. Abomination is a very strong word. It's not just, well, it makes me sad. It's like, that is grievous to me. That is obnoxious to me. That is an abomination to God that he looks on the wicked and, and grieves and is broken and is, finds it abominable in the ways that he looks at it. But in contrast, the words of the pure, the ones who are you know, trying to walk in God's ways and are living that, God, it is pleasant. And again, probably context, the idea is it's pleasant to God that he finds joy in, in that. Again, now we're contrasting words and thoughts and both true in both aspects, but again, just finding it from God, that he would look on it and say, hey, that's pleasing. That's, that's a good flow out of that. That's a good space that would be a part of it, and certainly uh, just that which God would tell us that he does. And again, it's just one of those interesting things to look at it and say, it's true right now. It is true right now. God looks at the thoughts of the wicked right now and he, is, he finds them abominable. I mean, he knows it. He knows everything that everybody's thinking and wicked thoughts are abominable to him. But words spoken that are flowing out of a heart from someone who's right with him, he looks on it and he says, I like that. That pleases me. That pleases me. I know which side of that I want to be on. I know which side I want to be in the midst of that. And I'm just longing that you would be as well, that God's smile would be upon our lives and that that would be where we are. All right, flip the page. Verse 27. He who is greedy for gain troubles his own house, but he who hates bribes will live. He is greedy for gain, this desire that um, just wanting money, wanting riches, and even inherent in the Hebrew words that's used here, it has the idea of unrighteousness. Like, all I really care about is getting ahead. All I care about is money. Don't really care about how I get it. Uh, Don't care about who I hurt, what I do, uh, because all I really care about is getting that. He says, if you do that, you, you might get money, but you will trouble your house. It'll bring problems to you. It'll, it, it, that kind of attitude of living, of just longing for that, it, it troubles your own world. But in contrast, he who hates bribes, he who hates that, says you will find life. And it is that person that would hopefully be there that says, you know, I don't care how much you offer me, I'm not going to do what's wrong. You know, I don't care how much you want to pay me, that doesn't change 
you know, that what's right is right and what's wrong is wrong. And one of those places in our world is just longing to, to be that person who hates it. One of the scary deals in our world, though, is that's a very, it's very limited in supply. Uh, someone noted it in many ways. For, for most people, it's not a hatred. It's just, it's not enough. You know, in one sense, that for, for some people, it's, it's not that they wouldn't take a bribe, it's just that the bribe isn't sufficient. And, and sometimes the question is, well, how much would it take for you to, to do what's wrong? You know, so gave you $1,000, 100000 a million? I mean, is there a price on, on you, you know, doing wrong? You know, you know what if it's, again, what if it was, just, just throw it out, what if it was to murder somebody? What if the question is, you know, how much? would it take for you to do that? Or again, to be someone who would accept a bribe to, to go someone wrong. And the idea is we should be like, it doesn't really matter. You can give me the whole world. You know, I, I want to do what's right. I mean, it's not about money. It's not about reward that, that determines my life. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm more concerned about being pleasing to God and it isn't a place that I can be bribed. And he longs for us to be someone who's not just resistant to it because it's not enough, but resistant to it because it, I hate it. I hate that thought. I hate it. I hate that idea that, that people would be easily moved to do wrong uh, because this world will move them to do so. And yet that's such a part of our world. And again, ways that you probably understand uh, in companies and in places, sometimes it's, it's really, well, like how much would it take for you to do wrong? You know, what, how much would it take for you uh, to, you know, violate those standards? And it's like, well, that's not the point. It's not, it's not about... You know, it's not that you haven't set my price right now. I just, I hate that. I, I hate being bribed. You can't, I don't want that. I want to be a part of that. And so longing that we would be that kind of person. Next verse. The heart of the righteous studies how to answer, but the mouth of the wicked pours forth evil. So here's this heart of this righteous person, this person who is trying to do right before God and what's taking place in there. And again, this idea is, is he thinks about what he says before he says it. He studies how to answer. He's longing for what we saw just a couple verses back. I want to say the right thing at the right time. And so the righteous person doesn't just say everything that they think, doesn't just allow it to kind of flood. It's like, hmm, what's the right way to say this? What's the, what's the right words that I should use? And, and, and is this the right time for me to speak? In contrast to it, the mouth of the wicked, this person who's not doing right, it has the idea, it just pours it out. It just, again, just lets everything flow, kind of blurts it out is one translation of it. And again, this is, not a, this, is, this is a proverb that has already been given to us a number of times in different ways, that is calling us to be that kind of person. And we find it all the way through the Word. I think about how it words it in James, you know, that we should be you know, quick to hear and, and slow to speak and, and slow to anger. That we should be that person It's like, hmm, you know, I'm gonna think about it. I'm just not gonna speak right away. Not gonna let it kind of come right back out. I'm gonna process for a little bit. And then there are other times where it's like, I'm gonna hold my tongue and I'm gonna think about the right way to say it. Again, just longing that we are such a person, that that's how you think and where it needs to change. May God make it so. Verse 29. The Lord is far from the wicked, but he hears the prayer of the righteous. So again, we get a statement of who God is. And so I'll use a purple line because it really is a flowing out of this thing. But again, it is this place where we look at this and it's God, where he says he is far. 
He, he is far from who? The wicked. The one who's doing the wrong thing, God is distant from him. God, God is not at work. And he just, he's withholding, not listening, not responding to it. We think about what he would tell us in Isaiah that, that the, even the prayer of the wicked is, is something that God refuses to answer because of that place it, that there is in this. And that's kind of in this context because in contrast of it, he says, here's the thing. He hears. He hears uh, the prayer of the righteous. And this is a, an amazing reality. Again, I don't know how much it shocks you. I don't know how much you kind of think this through, but let me just tell you it's true right now. That there's a world that's living in rebellion. And for many of those people, it's not that they don't think about God. They actually do. Most people, I don't know if you know this, but most people pray. Some. You know, not every day, but most Americans, you know, when, when average, you know, they would pray, you know, several times a year at least, you know, just, okay, God help, you know, like fix, I mean, they get in a, in a bind, all of a sudden they're asking for God, and God says, but if you're wicked, I, I'm distant from that. No wonder you think that there's not a God who does that. God is withholding from that because there's not a connection there. And that's an important understanding because some don't get that and don't understand it, it's the problem with their soul that not being right with him. But the other side of it is equally as amazing. Because if you're right, if you're right with God, if you're this person who's right with God, that you're in Jesus, and then walking in that, He hears. This is one of those things that just amazes me. And, and, I, and I wish I could unpack it better than I'm just going to try, but I don't know if you ever think about it. If God had told me, hey, Jim, if you pray... Uh, there's going to be an angel that hears you. And if it's a really important angel, then that will go up to the next tier of, of, a, of a greater angel. And if it's really big, then that will go up to the supervising angel. And then if it's really big beyond that, I mean, I could have imagined that. I mean, it wouldn't have surprised me at all if God said, hey, you know what, I'm running the universe. Um, you know, there's, a, there's an order to this. But the God of the universe, the creator of the heavens and earth says, I'm listening to you. That that right now in this world, when you're right with God, the king of the universe, the God of all creation, hears you. You living in Roswell, New Mexico, you who find yourself thinking, I don't think I'm that important. I don't know who would listen to me. God does. That's amazing. I mean, that's just such an incredible reality, and yet sometimes we can lose sight of that. We can buy into other things and think, oh, I don't know if God hears. It's like he does hear you. I mean, there, there, to, to pray, there's not any space that you could go. It would be more powerful, and sometimes it's just so amazing to pause and sit there and say, this is our God. <laughs> this is our God, and this is what he longs for. He longs for us to have such connection with him and to walk in that, and what a beautiful thing it is. I hope you believe that. I mean, I honestly believe that for some of us, if we believed this more, we would pray more. Uh, I think for some, uh, you've bought into the lie that, you know, who are you? You know, you don't, you know, you know, you, you don't have influence, you don't have a lot of money, you don't know that many popular people, and, and so somehow it kind of has worked into your prayer life, and you kind of think, you know, God is probably, he's probably not even interested in me, uh, he's not, you know, I don't even know, but if you could get it, it's like, you no, know, the king of the universe says, if you're riding Christ with me, that he would hear you and answer your prayers. I think it would change it. That prayer would not be a, oh, I guess I should pray. I guess, you know, I guess Christians should do that because, you know, I want to, you know, kind of want to get my gold star kind of deal. No, I'd be like, really? Like the God of the universe? Is, I mean, 
I could have the ear of the most powerful men on the planet and it would be so much less than what I have with God. He hears you. And to believe that, it would be an amazing thing. And yet that is who he is. God hears the prayer of the righteous. All right. Well, flip the page. Verse 30. The light of the eyes rejoices the heart and a good report makes the bones healthy. So he looks at this, and in one sense, he's kind of comparing a couple of things, and he says, hey, the light of the eyes. Now, there's actually a little bit of debate among Bible students as to what this is talking about. It could be talking about, hey, seeing this in other people, seeing their response, but it could also be speaking of that which is coming out of our own life. And in some senses, I lean there. He says, okay, there's this place when, when, when your eyes are seeing well, when you're walking in truth, when you're believing these things, there's a joy. There's just a joy that becomes because of this place of having this light of eyes. With it, a good report, hearing good news, that kind of brings and, and, and brings even health to our life. Being that person who is both seeing and hearing in the midst of that, it can do this incredible space. Well, again, it could be saying in these things that we get these things from seeing good in others or others telling it, but there is a sense of even the state of our own soul. And I find myself thinking about something that Jesus shared where he says pretty much the same thing in different words. He said it this way in Matthew 6. He says, the lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. He says it's as if the way that you look at the world and the way that you see, if it's good, if that is good, it, it, it just brings light into your life and your whole body will be full of light. But it is darkness. How great is the darkness? And, and just to believe this and then understand it, it is this invitation that we would be this, that we'd say, okay, I want this. I want this, what this is like. And here's the thing. Again, in this group here tonight, I hope you know what it is. I know that it's not always where we live. We struggle and we have ups and downs in our Christian life, but I hope you have it. I hope there are days when, when you just, you're doing, you're having a good time with God, you're, you're looking at the world rightly, you love people, you love God, and all of a sudden, without you know, needing anything else, it's just, I just kind of feel joy. It's in my heart. It's just, just, just doing me good. You know, not because I've actually done anything yet, not because, uh, you know, anything's going particularly better than it went the day before, but just the way I'm looking at the world the way my eye sees things right now, it is bringing me joy. And it really is that, the way that we can walk in that. With that, when we get this good report and, and, and hear the, the reality of that, it speaks life into us. Now, it's an interesting thing, and just not wanting to press it too hard, the good report in some translations is literally good news. And I like that, because in many ways, that's our life, right? Gospel is the word good news, that, that the gospel of Jesus Christ is good news. To hear the good news, to hear what that is, it is life-giving. It is strengthening to our lives. And in some ways, again, there's probably practical value in just hearing good things that are happening, but I would put to you that the best news is, is, is the gospel, 
that in one sense, even into our own lives, I mean, as, uh, as sometimes been said, some of the things that we need so often in our life is to hear it again and just to know the good news of Christ, to know that God sent his son and, and, and to know that we look at a world that is broken. But I look at it and say, God so loved the world, he gave his son. And whoever believes can have life. And, you know, somehow to, to look at our world in a way that both I see with the eyes that God wants me to see, but I know the good news is life-giving. You know, it is just life-giving. It is joy and strengthening, and in some ways, again, it just draws us to that place that it is so much what we need, that we need to have the light of Christ permeate our eyes, and we need the gospel. We need, as some have said, to preach the gospel to our own soul every day, to say, God, I just need, I need that space that just yeah, good news of Christ. It is amazing, and it, is, it just brings health into our lives, and certainly, again, a place where, as we look at our world, that it just longs to be there, because so often, sometimes when, the, when, when life is crummy, it really is about our own kind of view of things, that when, when we get into that space that just gets there, and we talked about this a little bit earlier in the chapter last week, where it talked about those who are cheerful and, and, and just that place of joy that we can have all the time. And so this kind of gives it to us in another way of saying, hey, the way you view the world, what you're allowing yourself to hear in the midst of that, it is, it is affecting your, your very countenance, and it's a beautiful place for us to walk in. All right, verse 31 the year that hears the rebukes of life will abide among the wise. One of the interesting things about this proverb is it's one of the very few proverbs that are in the book of Proverbs that isn't a double verse, that isn't a comparison or a contrast. It's simply a single statement. So he just tells us, okay, the one who hears rebukes of life, the one who lets things be, you know, hears rebukes, hears, you know, calls to repentance, he says, then you will abide among the wise. A place where, again, he's challenging us to be those who would do that, that would say, you know, if we'll listen, you know, if we will listen to that, if we will be that person that says, not only do I want to um, have many counselors, you know, the wise person who will listen to many, I, I want to have, you know, I want to hear, you know, when God rebukes me. I want to hear you know, when, when that's allowing to happen, when God would speak through, my, through others to do that, I want to be one that responds to that. And that's a big deal because all of us need it. There's not any of us here that we're like, I'm so glad I don't need that. So glad I do everything right. So God doesn't ever have to correct me. And it's like, that's not true. He is always needing to correct us. And he does gently, patiently. Sometimes he'll do it through just his word. Sometimes he'll do it through his spirit. Sometimes he'll speak even through a message that a pastor will give. And sometimes he'll do it through somebody else who will just say something to you. Maybe they'll do it very intentionally, or maybe they'll just kind of very casually say, well, that was harsh. Boy, you seem kind of sad today. You seem kind of bitter, or you seem kind of angry. And you can be like, I can't believe they said that to me. Just can't believe that. I mean, it's like, don't they know that I've had a bad day? Instead of being like, you know what, I need to hear. You know that I, I could be that person that has the joy of heart, and I could be that person that, and I am not. I, I'm just going in the wrong way. So, I mean, how you respond to that so often determines the life that you have. Because if you're in the place where nobody can correct you, then you're in a bad space. That's where our world so often is. It is in that place of nobody can tell me what to do. Don't tell me I'm wrong. Don't speak to me in that. But the Christian is meant to be someone who comes and humbles herself and says, I know my life is, is not perfect. I know I need some help, and, and, and God's going to use things into my life to help me grow, and 
I want to welcome that. I, I, I want to welcome the rebuke. That would be a good rebuke. I mean, I recognize Satan's a con- one who brings in the voice of condemnation. I'm not wanting that. But, but to be corrected, to be shaped, I want to be that person that listens, that would hear that. Again, sometimes we hear it and say, well, I, I don't, I'm, you know, that's just not landing. You don't really sense that. But if you will be open, God will speak it. And again, it defines who you are. Well, even though this is a single verse that just is found there, he repeats it in another way. In verse 32, he who disdains instruction, who looks on it and doesn't want to hear, doesn't want to respond to anything, he says, well, you're despising your own soul. If you just don't welcome that, don't want it to be heard. But in contrast, he who heeds rebuke, who will allow yourself to be corrected and listen when God brings those things in, you get understanding. Once more, it gives us just a response in this place of how are we doing that? Are we in that place where we want instruction and we want rebuke? Now, here's the deal. I recognize we're here in a Wednesday night Bible study. It is probably more likely this evening that you're on the side of wanting instruction and wanting an open rebuke because you're here. Now, that's not a guarantee, by the way, because you might just be here and not be, you know, it's like, okay, I did my Wednesday night and I got my star, you know, God, you know, owned me. But I mean, there's something about coming and saying, okay, I want to hear. I want to hear what God says. But again, there is that place of just needing to be there because we want there, because if we disdain instruction, not only are we not going to be instructed, we despise our souls. But if we are be open, it's like, I, I need to learn. And, and that's going to be positive, and that's going to be corrective. But I want to. And if you do that, you get understanding. It's a simple choice that in many ways invites us to be that person that is open to that. How faithful God is to do this, by the way. How, how gracious. I toss this in for just a bonus thought, really, since, again, one of the dangers in this is really being able to receive that correction, receive that that, that place of being rebuked, but not receiving, in a sense, again, condemnation. Uh, so I say it to you this way. One of the, Satan's greatest tools that we talk about every now and then is there in the book of Revelation where it says that Satan, day and night, brings in condemnation. That his attack on Christians is to just you know, throw over our lives condemnation. And it is one of his most effective tools. It's something that works in your life, and being able to recognize that and overcome his condemnation is such a very important key in our life. But the danger is that we could get into the place of not receiving any correction. Instead, we want to come into the place of receiving his rebuke. So I'm just going to give you just one of these little quick lessons that works for me, and if it lands with anybody else. One of the things I've found about condemnation is that Satan comes in like a flood. Uh, he, when he condemns, it's rarely, you know, one thing. It's most often 10 things or 100 things. So it would go like this. You know, you're kind of there, and then pretty soon the little voice begins to whisper, you know, boy, you're like a terrible person. You're a terrible dad. You're a terrible pastor. You're a terrible Christian. You're, you're terrible at everything. I mean, you're, I, mean I, don't even, you, I don't even know why you haven't, you, you're, you know, you're useless, and look at how bad you do. I mean, it just begins to come, and so pretty soon it's 10, it's 100, it's, it's just the, you know, I, I'm, a, I'm a full-on failure. In me, that's become a pretty clear, that's condemnation, that's not God. I have found God to be very gracious. Uh, I don't want to put him in a box and say he always does it this way, but I have found when he corrects, it's almost always one thing. It's almost always one thing. I mean, he could correct you in a thousand things. 
I mean, if he, if he, need, if he, if he really wanted to sit down and say, I'm going to show you everything that's wrong with you, it would be a terrible day. But the Holy Spirit so often would be, you know, your attitude's not really good right now. You know, just the way you're doing it. It's like, well, really? <laughs> That's like the fourth time I've heard that today. It's like you just, I mean, it's like, I keep hearing, I don't hear a hundred things. I keep hearing one thing that's like where God's like, that right there? Let's work on that. Can we sanctify that? Because that's what I want to touch right now. That's where I'm going. And, and I've kind of come to recognize, you know, when it's the overwhelming flood, it's like, okay, put on my, you know, defensive techniques, you know, put up my shield of faith and like, don't believe that. But when God just keeps speaking one thing, and again, for me, it is so often when he repeats himself, it's like, man, really? Like, I'm listening to this one on the radio. It's like, I'm not going to listen to that program. I'm going to flip over there. It's like, oh, they're talking about the same thing, you know? And then it's like, I run into somebody else and I'm reading a book at night. It's like, man, did you guys all gang up and decide that today we are all going to talk about that? Like, what's going on? It's like, wait a sec, wait, wait, that's, that's God. And to be that person that says, okay, then I want to hear that. I, I don't want to, you know, put my, I don't want to throw up my defensive, you know, just place where I'm not going to hear that. I, I need to be that person that welcomes that. And, and so long that you would be that person who heeds rebuke and longs to hear what God has. All right, well, leaving that with you, one last verse and we'll wind up for the evening. Verse 33, the fear of the Lord is the instruction of wisdom. And before honor is humility. In many ways, he gets to one of the basic thoughts of the entire book of Proverbs, that it has told us that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The foundation of all wisdom is to fear God. To fear God isn't to be terrified like you're you know, shaking your boots scared, but the idea is God is God. He's the king. And I fear him in the sense of I recognize he's my, my, my creator, my sustainer. He's the one I'm going to stand and account for. It's a good, reverent fear that we're meant to have, that we're to live our lives in this recognition that God is God, and he sees me, and he knows me, and he's going to hold me accountable, and I live my life in this place. He says, if you have that, the instruction of wisdom is there. That in that sense to see him, then he's going to be shaping your life in wisdom because the, the, the fear of God is the beginning of it. It's the foundation where all that flows. Now, with that and connecting to that, before honor is humility. And before there's reward, before there's anything that flows out of this, there's a place of humility. And these are actually very, very much connected. The more you fear God, the more very naturally you're going to move in humility. The, 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 the more you recognize how good he is, it will bring you to recognize your smallness and, and your need. The less you fear God, the more self-confident you will be and the more arrogant and prideful. And so there really is a connection here that says, okay, if I'm going to fear God, it's going to bring me to this place that brings me to a recognition of my smallness, my need, my dependence, my humility, uh, the place that I put God and put others uh, before my, myself, where it says, you know, that, that the humble, you know, that we look on the, the cause of others, not just our own, because that's where it flows. And yet that would so often be the thing that is God is seeking to bring us there, because only there can he honor us? Only there can God work good, which is a pretty fascinating thing. Martin Luther, as he thought about this in his own life, said it this way, 
He said, it is often that before God sets me upon any special service for the good of the church, I have some sore fit of sickness. He says, so often before God does anything really good in my life or there's going to be something good, he often just allows me to go through something bad. You know, something that just, you know, makes me weak or, or, or shows me my smallness. He says, surely, as the lower the ebb, the higher the tide. So the lower any descend into humiliation, the higher they shall ascend into exaltation. The lower this foundation of humility is laid, the higher shall the, the roof of honor be overlaid. Again, it's a pretty fascinating thing, and I don't know if that's making sense, but let me just try it again this way. As God is seeking to do things through your life, so often one of the keys is he's trying to bring you to an end of yourself. And, and so often, the, the reality is this. I think about it, Spurgeon would say it in his own life, that he found that the two places, that humility, that place of coming, feeling small that would happen in his life was either right before something really big happened or right after. Uh, he said it was, just, it was almost just you could mark it. You know, that when God was getting ready to do something and really allow him maybe to be used specially or, uh, you know, to be, you know, just worked by him. So often he allowed him to go through something leading into that moment that just kind of brought him to an end of himself, to, to make him more in that place that would be useful. I like that. And then he would say sometimes it took place afterwards as well just to keep him humble so that he wouldn't go to his head like afterwards. Like, okay, I can recognize that. You know, if God used me, he's probably gonna let me go through something that will just remind me who I am. Again, I just like that, and I just want to, you know, end with this and just say, I don't know where that speaks, but I felt like I was speaking to somebody, so let me just try. You know, God does this, and it's for our good. It's not something that we often welcome, and so maybe you're going through a hard time right now. Maybe God is doing things that, boy, they just seem to be bringing you up short and, and, and kind of helping you kind of put this mirror in front of you. It's like, I know, I know I'm, I'm not that effective. I know I'm small. I know I'm inadequate. You know, and, and he's just allowing you to feel your own weakness and smallness and humbleness. And, and some of that can actually make us frustrated. Like, okay, God, why are you allowing this to happen? You know, like, why would that be, you know, what's happening in my life? It's just like, this doesn't seem good. And yet God is saying, hey, before I can do something good, before honor, I have to bring you into that space. And, and, and so sometimes it's almost that sense of expectation. And again, I feel like I'm speaking to somebody who that right now, he just wants to tell you, hey, you know, he's allowing some things happening in your world, you know, in part because he wants to do something through you. You know, he wants to, to do something through your life. But before that can happen, there is really this place of just inviting us to humble ourselves and humble ourselves under his mighty hand and, and allow those things to happen and then watch that happen. Because it is an honest place that so often is there. That for many of us, those seasons of our soul, we'd begin to recognize, yeah, it's so often this way. As God seeks to work, he so often allows us uh, to, to be humbled. Not a bad thing, because it needs to be there. Because the bigger God is, sometimes the smaller we find ourselves, which is a really good space to be. You know, the more self-confident you are, the more you know, self-reliant you are, the less you really fear God. But when those are there, it's a, it, it's a place of, of God's blessing coming. And so again, good for all of our life, but I think I'm speaking to somebody very specific, maybe even just to speak hope, just to, to not fight it, not, not to you know, resist him, just you know, kind of allow it to work the humbleness that God is wanting to work in your life so that he can do that which he's wanting to do. All right. 
Well, that's where we're going to end. And in many ways, inviting us this evening into a space that God would be shaping and making us to be the people He wants us to be, a humble people, a wise people, that He is sanctifying us. And I'm just telling you again, He is that faithful. And so hopefully tonight He's done that. Hopefully you've gained some understanding through this book of Proverbs, but if he is doing what I think he's doing, I'm hoping that there's just one. You know, it's not like, you know, you're not just looking like, I need to grow on them all, although that's probably true. I mean, it's probably true, but I'm hoping that there's one. It's like, no, that's it right there. Um, I talk too much, or I speak too quickly without thinking, or I'm not listening to rebuke, or I'm, I'm not talking to people. I'm not letting other people counsel my life. I'm being too independent. I, I don't know what it is, but I think he's that faithful that he would take it and say, hey, this is the one, this is yours, and just let me work good in you. Let me sanctify you. Because yes, I perfected you forever, but I am sanctifying you. And I'd like to continue that work. And, and it's so gentle and it's so faithful when we let him to do it, but wise is the person who accepts that from God. So let's go before him right now in prayer and ask that he would do that in us. God, I thank you that you are that faithful and that you have perfected us forever who are in Christ. And I love that. I pray for any right now that are outside of that, that don't have this. I certainly pray right now for salvation so that they would be made perfect forever. But Lord, I also love that that's an ongoing, continuing process. You are sanctifying us. Lord, I know that's what you're wanting to do right now. And uh, just humbling us, dealing with things in our life, showing us where we're living foolishly, where we're allowing sinful propensities to guide our choices and the way that we're doing things. God, I believe you're very gentle and I believe you're very faithful. So maybe that one thing that we needed to hear tonight above all the rest, that one thing that would just invite us to live a life that's more beautiful, more pleasing, that light of the eyes that would bring joy into our own life and health to our bones. God, would you help us to go there? And Lord, where that's humility where it is reminding us that without you, we can do nothing. That independence is so wrong. That place of trusting in my own strength, trying to do life on my own is inherently wrong. I need to recognize how needy I am, how much I need you, and how much I need other people. God, just teach us that. Bring us to that place of humility, and then work that honor that you would seek to work. I would ask for that for all, and I'd ask for that for me. Thank you for your good process in that, but Lord, it is good because you're good. And so I simply ask for that tonight. Build us in your ways. We ask for it together in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.